welcome to the Influx podcast. My name is Laura Federspiel, and as your new host, I am delighted to welcome back all of our listeners. This is a new school year, and the podcast will be evolving for this upcoming year. As you may know, our previous host, Zara Pradipta, graduated from SCAD, and I'm taking over to do announcements and introduce our guests every week. I'm a junior here at SCAD, majoring in UX design. But outside of school, you can find me planning my next big adventure. Right now, I'm deciding between Mount Everest or a backpacking trip through Italy. We'll see where I end up. Our only announcement this week is the upcoming Flux kickoff meeting happening on October 1st. Make sure you follow our Instagram at SCADFLUX to learn more. This kickoff will set the tone for the entire quarter and will be a great way to meet people inside and outside of UX. We hope to see you all there. So, this week on the podcast, we have an incredibly interesting and fun guest. Travis Nielsen is on the pod this week to talk about his career as a designer and his current work at Google as an interaction designer. Varun has been a big fan of Travis's for years now, and it was great getting his view on anything from the meaning of life and death to what his favorite music is. We hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Now, I will hand it off to Varun, Nico, and Travis. So first off, thank you so much for joining us today, Travis. Um, it's my pleasure. Nico and I are both very excited to have you here today, but for me, it's a little bit of a special day because, like I said, I've been following your work for years at this point. Um, I used to watch Dev Tips all the way throughout high school. My dad told me to code um, because I was distancing myself from architecture because that was what I wanted to do for a big chunk of my life, but I realized that might not be the path I wanted to go down, and um, my dad... Being a being working in tech, um, he was trying to get me into CS. But I think through Dev Tips and through other events, I discovered UX, and wow. I kind of ended up going down that pathway instead. Yeah. And how long ago is it that you kind of made that decision? So I think it was the junior year of high school. So oh, now okay. it's been five years. Wow. Yeah. You probably have so much more experience under your belt. Like I, I imagine. As a junior in high school, when you made that decision, you had no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, like, you, like how could you possibly know what it means to do this or that at that age? Um, yeah. So what if, like, how do you, do you think about it differently now, five years later? Like, are you still pumped about it? Are you still, do you th still think it's something that you want to do long term? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, if anything, it's exposed me to a lot more within the field of UX. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, like, UX... It's kind of what HCI, like, mm -hmm. the, like the practical version of HCI, and within HCI, there's those, all those disciplines, and I think it's seeping into like practical purpose too now. So like IA, like information architecture, interaction, they're all getting their own like sub disciplines within UX, and they're each thought of in a equally important way. So yeah, personally, like interactions, where I what I really love, and I really want to dive deeper into that. That's awesome. You know, when I was, when I was like in that position of deciding like what's, what's going to happen next for me or whatever, like we didn't, I don't even think we had the term UX back then, but it was like, are you a designer? <laughs> like I was like a, a designer. What's a designer? I don't know. 
I'm one of those. <laughs> so it was like um, really like early on, you know, in our in our profession, and a lot of like the concepts and uh, deep practices had not matured yet. And so it really was like if you can pirate a copy of Photoshop and you can convince somebody to give you a few bucks, you're a designer. And like yeah. that's that's it. That's how I got it done. <laughs> I will definitely say that um, when we started this podcast, you were definitely one of the very first names that Varun put down as like, we need to get him. Oh. We need to talk to him. Yeah. That would be so awesome. So, well, I hope I don't so let you down. You. Let's talk about some meaty stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but before we get started with any of that meaty stuff, just yeah. how have you been? How's this past year been for you? Uh, it's probably been one of the favorite years of my life. Um, and I have about 38 of them to count so far. So I think it's a pretty good year. Um, it started out really, really crazy. Uh, I was in California, kind of in the Bay Area, doing my Bay Area thing when the kind of world did what it did and to all of us. And um, I, I didn't. I didn't respond very well back then. I, I started having panic attacks. I, I was mm. being consumed by all this like you know, this mystery boogeyman right. going to get you kind of thing. And, um, I, uh, it was hard. And then, uh, an opportunity opened up to live at a house that we're helping restore and we get to live here rent free for a while. And then we're going to, I'm going to move back to California soon, but, um, just the isolation, it's like a farm town that we're out here on, you know? So the isolation has given me a lot of breathing room to like <laughs> calm down. And then I've, do, I've done like a lot of just like work on myself, like therapy and kind of trying to figure out where my anger comes from. Just like that stuff that you can do when you're alone and you're not constantly like being bombarded by, hey, come out to this event or mm -hmm. hey, do this thing. When you're like stuck in a house on a farm on your own, you're, you're more open to listening to people say, hey, um, you should think about this, you know, like you should think about working on uh, these these lifelong problems that you've had. So it's been a great year. Um, I feel like my relationships with my my uh, partner and my children have just deepened mm -hmm. and blossomed in the most surprising and great ways. Um, and so that's the reason I say it's been the best. Of course, it's been difficult. It's been difficult for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's been difficult for me in a lot of the same ways that it's been that you can imagine. But I think like on the others, like on the outside of that, it's been a really great year for, for recollecting and deciding like what I want to be when this mm -hmm. is over, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how about you? What are you guys, you said you were doing SCAD uh, distance and then it's going to be a hybrid when you guys head back. Yep. Um, do you get excited by that prospect or does that like, do you roll your eyes at it? Not it's, sure yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's it's a bunch of not sure. And I'm also curious how many people are interested to do the classes online still. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It seems like everyone that I've talked to is really amped to just get back on ground and mm -hmm. be together. Um, particularly okay. because the way that SCAD UX works is it's every class is collaborative. There's no solo projects. There's never that. Yeah. Um, so I think that yeah. on ground thing is something that everyone's been looking for for a while. Yeah, I would say, you know, when I was visiting the SCAD campus last year or the year before, geez, it's been such a crazy year. Um, I uh, I was impressed by the vibe. Just it felt actually it, it did remind me a lot of Google's vibe just in that like the campus is organized so that people can have 
creative um, collisions, you know, mm-hmm. you, you kind of encounter somebody in these spaces and then you kind of like understand what they're doing and it leads you to a new path. And, and that, I felt that quite a lot when I was visiting SCAD, your campus is organized that way. So I'm glad that you guys are, you know, chuffed to head back. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's our senior year, so we got to how to do it on ground, right? <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> graduate in person. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. the final. So a, a cool town and it's haunted. So, <laughs> and my apartment's haunted. Apparently is Varun. it? Apparently everything in Savannah <laughs> is haunted. Well, apparently. The, yeah. Yeah. Even the chicken nuggets. <laughs> Nico telling me his um, house is haunted when I'm moving in with him next year. It's a little concerning, but <laughs> no, apparently there's, um, footsteps we're in the top floor travis uh-huh. and apparently yeah. there's footsteps above us see that's real <laughs> see that I'm, is i'm not the one who said that i've heard it i just said mm-hmm. people say they've heard it so <laughs> i i had my biggest scare ever in my life in savannah really so yeah when i was down there with scad um it was i was working on some music like at three in the morning and um, I found this YouTube video that was called, oh man, I just, oh, it's so scary already. It was like <laughs> 3D horror or something like that. And so it's like really, really like they have a really great stereo image mm-hmm. field. So like there's like people running behind you and the, and the door slams and then somebody screams above you. And it's like, it's just, uh, and so I was listening to this at <laughs> three in the morning in freaking haunted Savannah, um, like looking at the window into my alley and then like all these doors and like, and I, I like, I swatted off my headphones. Like I didn't gently like take my head. I like smacked my own head to get my headphones <laughs> off and stood up and started pacing. And I had to take a shower. I was so scared. I don't oh, know wow. what a shower does, but <laughs> honestly, this shower would scare me more because you know, you got the curtain and you know, yeah. The horror movie you have to vibes. rinse off the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah, <I guess> so. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so let's start off from the beginning, the overview of your career. What initially (laughs) interested you in design or what did you study first? Yeah. So, um, I got into design way, way back in the day when I was a youth and I was, um, into the hardcore and punk scene in Las Vegas when I I grew up in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So I was into like music and, um, kind of like you know, and so I was in a band, I, I was a singer and recently my little brother, um, sent me a bunch of MP3s that were like recordings of me. And it's just like way worse than I remember. Just like <laughs> so worse than I remember. Um, I have never been a good musician, even though I love music and I make it all the time. And I have a YouTube channel that's about music. I suck. And it's fun. That's what's fun about it. But even back then, like I was just like biting it so hard anyway. Um, so I was in this band and uh, when you're in a band, there's a lot of promotional kind of things you have to do. So mm-hmm. Um, I just got to work designing t-shirts and, um, flyers and posters and kind of like internet, you know, web ads and kind of stuff like that. Now this is back before like social media. This is back before you could like make a poster on Instagram template or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. like this was, um, opening MS paint and like drawing borders around a hippo clip art that you found. Like it was like so bad. (laughs) Um, but that's like how it started. And, And like, it was like this idea that, that like, oh my gosh, you can like make things that they, that people, I, like just the idea of like information conveyance through art was just like mm-hmm. mind blowing at the time. And I found it or I discovered 
the concept organically. Of course, I'm, we're living in a, a, a visually saturated world and that stuff is all over everywhere. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't invent it, of course. But, you know, as a child, as like a 14-year-old with a band, and then you start discovering the idea of marketing, it, it, it's, just, it's kind of like changed things, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, and also there were these other kind of um, kids in the scene who were into design and this is mm-hmm. back in the day. This is the 90s. Let me just tell you, this is 98, <laughs> 99. And so we had this really funny thing and you guys will appreciate this. But we, whenever we would type out the word in our AOL instant messenger chats, whenever we would type out the word design, we would write D, the numeral three, oh the God. number one, and then a G and then like a. N, oh, and then a five if you if it's plural. So like designs is plural, you use a five because it's like an S. And we thought it was so cool. It was like leet hacker speak for designers. And we were like, we would just like send each other the most dumb things um, that we designed. And we thought they were so cool because we were all inspired by like David Carson and like the grunge like look, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so like all of my stuff was like, like that for so long. Um, eventually, I kind of you know, grew up and I got a job in sales. Um, actually one, one kind of like detour of, of my like journey is that, yeah. uh, cause I used to be very religious and I went on a mission to England for two years, uh, oh, wow. to teach people about the Jesus. And so, um, <laughs> That was interesting to me. I learned a lot about, of course, sales and like communication and interacting with people. You know, I would like knock on doors, door to door. It was like a Mormon mission. It was mm-hmm. it really intense. Um, and then when I came back from that, naturally, I felt very confident with sales and kind of speaking to people and stuff like that. And so that kind of like led into the whole presentation aspect of my kind of whole vibe. Um, I learned to talk to people, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think like, you know, a good, a good, not a career, but a good job to have at least once in your life is like sales, mm-hmm. hard sales. If you can do door to door sales, knocking on people's doors, um, you, it's like the most painful thing, Yeah. but, but you break through this wall and you realize that like, nobody is anybody and I am, I am nobody too. And like, you could just talk to anybody like they're anybody. It's just like, you learn that through experience and door to door sales is like the, like the most aggressive way to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I, I used to invite myself in for dinner. Uh, I'd knock on somebody's door and and like, I didn't have a meal that night. I was very hungry, very poor. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, Hey, what, Hey, what, what is, what's going on in there? And like, I've, um, number of times I've sat with different families. This one time this guy gave me a plate and said, you can't come in here, but here, have this. It was like a a plate of, um, food, mashed potatoes and like whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so sales was like a big part of my like career journey in that Mm -hmm. way. So while I was working, selling electronics and stuff, TVs and VCRs for a while, that was such a trip. You guys are making me go like back in the past. (laughs) We're going back. Yeah, yeah. But all the time, I was always designing. I was always working on just things. I don't even know mm-hmm. if you would call it a portfolio. It was just like like just discovery and intrigue, nothing formal. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I did take a few courses at a community college, mm-hmm. um, but I never graduated. I didn't last very long because I would always get in um, arguments with my professors. I don't really have a great relationship with authority. And so... Um, 
which is weird, right? Because as you're a Mormon, you love authority. <laughs> it's like it's like a weird. It's like I can explain it. It'll take time, but it's weird. Um, but anyway, I yeah. So I dropped out of college, and then I started just like Craigslisting to get work, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was so anxious to quit sales and become a like the aspirational designer to have that even label. Um, I was married at the time, uh, still married to the same person. Um, but we were newlyweds at the time and I would be like, Hey, what do you think about me quitting my job? And just like trying to be a designer. And she'd be like, well, well what are you even talking about? Like, how will you make money? Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and so like we, we had this agreement that if I made like X amount of dollars in X amount of time, then that would, you know, create this cadence where I could quit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I ended up quitting and like working, um, you know, freelance and just like, it's, it was the worst ever. I, 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 I'm horrible at book cook, bookkeeping. I'm horrible at like courting new business or just even finding new <laughs> business, like things like that. And then eventually I realized that like, I don't want to be a freelancer and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do the, the thing that I'm good at and then I will pay somebody else to do HR and to do the bills and to, and to find new business. Right. And that's what you call joining an organization, right? So like, <laughs> like they are giving me a paycheck, but in, in, but in essence, I'm just letting them do the things I don't want to do. And then they're paying me to do the things I want to do. And so that's why joining an organization is sometimes nice. Yeah. So that was a, um, oh, so how that worked was I was doing like the Craigslist stuff and, uh, my biggest client that I was able to snag during that era was this, um, male enhancement, uh, clinic. So they're (laughs) like, perform male perform if you yeah. know what i'm saying here I, yeah, we're, yeah, t- we're talking about uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these guys would like open clinics all over the country and i would design you know all of their you know uh, needs for each individual clinic uh-huh. um so that was a kind of a nice thing to have in my portfolio to take to like around <laughs> to try to find a real job like the like by the time i did find actual employment at a um like at an advertising agency mm-hmm. uh i that was like my biggest like thing in my portfolio is this male enhancement <laughs> clinic. So it's, it's pretty funny. Like take whatever job you can get. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. It'll lead to the next thing, you know, and it's all experience. Um, and then I, yeah, I joined a, a little uh, kind of a boutique uh, advertising agency in Las Vegas. I worked there for three years, became creative director. Uh, again, it's small, small places. You can be creative director, right? Like mm-hmm. if I joined like BBDO, there's no way I'd be a creative director. And I'm like, that's an interesting principle to take away is that if you want to have an aggressive learning experience with a lot of responsibility, join a small agency mm-hmm. because there's less people to carry the load and you'll mm-hmm. be forced into those awkward positions where you have to learn new things every day. Um, I think it was Seth Godin who's, who said it this one way and I really loved it. He said that like at a smaller agency, there were more chairs and they moved around more quickly. More chairs and they moved around more quickly. So mm-hmm. like, a, like a chair at the table, right? Mm-hmm. And so one day you're the designer, but you could be like going to the client meeting and handling yeah. clients like, like um, uh, account kind of things. Right. That happens all the time in a small agency. You go to pitches, you like work. Yeah. It's yeah. Anyway, um, after the small agency, um, 
we decided we didn't want to live in Las Vegas. So I was looking for work in California, eventually found a small, another small agency out there, but mm-hmm. they, they did cool work. And it was finally an all digital agency. I guess I didn't mm-hmm. mention that, but all the work that I did before was all print. So I was doing posters, billboards, advertisements in magazines, and just like things like that, just all mostly print. I yeah. hang out at the printers a lot, checking their <laughs> specs. Yeah. Um, but then uh, after I moved to Oakland in California, this was a full digital agency and they serviced music industry people. Like I built Janet Jackson's website and the killers and um, uh, not Taylor Swift, but her record label, things mm-hmm. like that. It was like really fun. And yeah. we, we made tons of websites so fast, but they also had like a product side of their agency, right? Yeah. And so like I was on the design side, I wasn't product, but I would look over at product and be like, what is what are you doing now? What is this? And this is the first time I was interested in, introduced in like a fundamental way to, to um, you know, product design mm-hmm. and, and that concept. Well, I was there for only like three or three or so months. And then I just started jumping around um, to, cause like it was by that time I was in Silicon Valley, right? I made it out to California. Now that you're in California, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, you, you like, like a, a, a good designer in California, in the Bay Area, you can feel a little bit like Cinderella um, because as soon as like you get a little bit of w- work in your mm-hmm. portfolio, you get a little bit of history on your kind of um, your LinkedIn page or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. you get you start getting like um, inundated with, uh, you know, uh, uh, people who find people. Oh, yeah. Recruiters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get inundated with like these re- recruiting emails and all this type of stuff. And so you kind of feel like, oh, I, I have the pick here. So I did. I jumped around quite a lot, a little bit when I first went to California, eventually landed at a, a startup. Um, that was fun. It, it sold to Groupon. But um, uh, after that, I joined Google Search. Yeah, I think that's it. So it was about 10 years in startups. It's not just like yeah. a weekend, you know, yeah. it's like a big thing. So it's, it's, and in startup world, it could be lean, you know, like, like not a lot of money <laughs> to do mm-hmm. this. Um, and then sometimes it can be pretty cushy, like, oh, the investor just dropped a few million. Let's go to, you know, <laughs> something like that. So it's, it's a really weird world. And, and it, it yeah. um, I have conflicted feelings about it now that I'm outside of it, yeah. um, more or less, but it was interesting. Um, but that led to Google and Google was, uh, also a great, you know, fit for me. Um, I've been there for now, I think five ish, five and a bit years, uh, about a year and a half ago, I went to, from Google search to YouTube music, which is maybe even a little bit better of a fit. I think, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's how I met actually SCAD, uh, all the SCAD, SCAD people, because, um, we have a program at Google where we work with SCAD called uh, SCAD Plus, SCAD Pro. Yeah. SCAD Pro, yeah. yeah. Yep. SCAD Pro. And so I was, at the time when I was at Google, I was working on search as the um, the lead designer for crisis response. So like floods and fires and things like that. And so that was a great opportunity to work with SCAD on those types of problems. And that's mm-hmm. why that was kind of like my affiliation there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to know Mike and, um, a few of the kind of Googlers who are like always hanging out with scatters <laughs> are, is scatters a name. I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> Scatty, <Scatty>. <laughs> scatties, scatties. That's a good one. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and then so I've been at YouTube Music here now, and my job at YouTube Music is mostly to help um, artists and like record labels to have a good experience in sharing their music on our platform, YouTube. So that could mean a lot of things, but like, how does an album look on YouTube is like the right. the, the question mm -hmm. that I try to answer. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, uh, I could talk that. So that's my professional career. But like, like the whole time, though, like understand, like when I said, like, I was working in sales, I was also doing like design hustles and stuff, Craigslist uh -huh. things and logos for friends and all that. Like, like that hustle side of things. Even though I now as a mature, now more mature person, I have like a more balanced relationship with work. Mm -hmm. It was very unhealthy for most of my life. <laughs> um, but that, that hustle side of it is kind of also what led me to a lot of places. So, for example, um, one of the startups I was in was a um, it was an analytics for YouTube kind of startup. You know, yeah. how is your video doing on the Internet? And so I started a YouTube channel because I wanted to know what it was like to make a YouTube in order to create a yep. tool for people who are YouTubers. Right. So that's how DevTip started. I started that a channel. I was like, what can I do? Um, I'll just te teach people to code because I thought code was easier to, to like lecture about than design. It's a little bit more logical and less um, hand wavy. So, it, and I think I still think that's true. Although probably <laughs> if I was going to start a new uh, channel, uh, education channel, it'd probably be strictly designed because since stopping dev tips, I really have coded like I forced myself to code like three things, but there, I have zero <laughs> opportunities anymore, zero requirements. I think it's a part of like being the, you know, at Google, you get a little lazy or you get a little um, sedent, not sedentary. That just means you move your body. But like, what is it like where you don't flex one? I don't know, because because I'm not required yeah. to code. I don't yeah. have to do all those yeah. things. Um, and in fact, if I do, it would be a waste of time because there's much better engineers, you know, than me. And so um, I strictly am like more or less not doing any code anymore. In fact, I've been looking at my own website for quite a while and being like, this is all out of date. I just need to update it. But I don't even know where my code editor is. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know my command prompts right now, guys. <laughs> that's funny. yeah that was actually one of the um, questions i wanted to probe on like what role does that? code play at google but you answer that well it, it plays quite a significant role um of course if you're an engineer um, oh yeah if you're a yeah if you're a ux designer um the most i've used it is like i've just forced my way into moments where i've been like hey and i just whipped this up <laughs> you know so it's like nice to have it for sure and mm -hmm. like when people know that you can do it it's appreciated for sure mm -hmm. but again like there's no requirement for it i will i would never like lose my job because i can't code anymore and in fact like the pace the pace of like coding technologies and frameworks and like your your like coding environment is so fast i honestly don't know what's going on out there anymore mm -hmm. it's crazy to admit but i just don't even wow. know how to do a website <laughs> <laughs> how to make a website guys i don't know <laughs> i'm when, sure when you I pick a, it up yeah i used to use PageMaker or not PageMaker. um notepad plus yeah. plus <laughs> <laughs> a free one yeah that's interesting because currently i'm doing an internship at intuit and my role is a design technologist so it is actually Great. merging code and design and that's because i think i came to ux through code and i think that's the part that i always will cherish 
Um, yeah. But it's interesting hearing what happens at different companies because even within Intuit, we have UX engineers and then design technologists, and then the lines are kind of blurry between that. But um, it's exciting yeah. because code is still a tool at the end of the day for design in a way. I totally agree. I've always advocated that for that on my channel. Like there's there's really no difference between writing code and pointing and clicking and drawing out a box and saying mm -hmm. that it's a video player because it really all it does is communicate an idea. Mm -hmm. You're right. just expressing ideas whether it's a code demo or a static thing or even like um an animated thing that you created with, you know, Figma or something. Yeah. Um Oh, I, yeah, I should mention also that, yeah, I'm just talking about my experience. So we do have roles at Google that are like um, UX engineers, which are very code heavy and very, you know, UX problem facing. So mm -hmm. there's opportunities for all kinds. <laughs> yeah. Another part of your career that I find very interesting is that you've always had that day role as a designer, but then you've also overlapped it with like content creation, whether it's YouTube or the podcast, like Late yeah. Lights with Travin Lowe's, the Google podcast, um, I forget the name, but, or... Uh, method. Google yes. Method is the podcast. Oh, here's an ad. Jo uh, go listen to Google <laughs> Method. I don't make it anymore, but it was pretty flipping cool. And then you um, you're still currently doing little music boxes. So yeah. do you see content creation as something that will always be an intrinsic part of your like career path or just the work that you do? What a great question. I don't really know. Um, so this is, it has been a crazy year as we've gone over. And like I published something last week on my music channel, which is mm -hmm. called Little Music Boxes. I, I published something last week. But before that, it was like November because I've just been in this weird, like isolated hole. It like mm -hmm. so cut off from the entirety of humanity. You know, and that's not literally true. I have this nice glowing screen in front of me that I log into every day and I have people around here that I talk to and I can go to the grocery store. That's fine. But but by and by, like, I'm not where the action is anymore. And I just feel like time moves slower. And mm -hmm. I don't need I don't need to do a thing. <laughs> like the 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 pressure, I guess, is just not there. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It's I'm so surprised by this, guys. Like how your physical environment and even outside of like just how you decorate your desk, I'm talking about like what your neighborhood looks yeah. like, how that can like really push you or pull you in different ways. And I'm just like really observing this now, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was a hard year for publishing content. Um, in 2021, I've only done one video this year and yeah. it's like <laughs> July. Um, so will it be something, you know, that's always there? No, but there are like some really, really great benefits of having a long string of published content. Mm -hmm. um, the first one being is that it's like a journal. You look back at yeah. the things you say and do. A lot of the times you're, you've got a face palm and you're like, why, <laughs> why did I say or do that? But, um, but it's a great way to like understand your growth trajectories and also like who you are. Because when you, when you, I don't know. I'm not advocating for people to start creating content. It's hard. And, but, but when you force yourself to speak, <laughs> I said that really weird speak, but when you force yourself to speak about the things that are important to you, you really learn what you think about them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and you guys 
I'm sure with podcasting, you've, you've found your voice a little bit more than you did your first episode, right? Yeah. And fast forward two years, you're going to be doing maybe this, maybe something else, but the way that you approach it will be with all of the things that you learned today and, and the time in between. So you will have more experience, more confidence, more understanding of how things work and where mm -hmm. to go. Like if there's a problem, mm -hmm. what to do, you know? And so I think that's why content creation has a really um, important part in my personal development, mm -hmm. just because, and I think it's kind of weird to, it's, what is it like kind of egotistical to think that I can just grow in front of people and they should care about it. <laughs> That's really weird, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, I have, hey, I have like an hour of drivel. Would you like to listen to it? <laughs> Would you like to sponsor one of these? Right. Uh, um, yeah. So, uh, but, but currently, oh, so I want to talk about like the cadence of making things. So every time that I've been working with Dev Tips or Trav and Lowe's podcast or Google's podcast or even like mm -hmm. work at you know, um, it's always deadline driven. And as I've said before, like I missed so many, you know, like I haven't published anything this year, but I didn't want my new music uh, channel to be deadline driven at all. In right. fact, I wanted it to be completely spontaneous and just only based on passion. Um, I try to like not cultivate a community like I did on DevTips. On DevTips, mm -hmm. I, you know, there was a community there and a feedback loop. And so it was like more like participatory with, with the audience. Mm -hmm. But with this one, I just want to be incredibly selfish. And I want to be, I, I want this to be mine, 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 and mm -hmm. not yours. And if you like it, fine. If you leave a comment, thank you. But fuck <laughs> off. This is mine. <laughs> and, right. um, I think that because of that, it has been one of my um, most pleasure-filled um, experiences, you know. And 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 every time that I make a new song or a new you know musical experience, I don't even know if they're songs; they're just things. Um, I'm I'm trying something new. I'm pushing it. You know, maybe you don't notice that or whatever. But to me, when I look back and I watch those, the other day actually, I was sitting. I lost maybe two hours by watching my old videos yeah. and I never, ever, ever watched a, a dev tips video again. Oh wow. Never twice. Never watched a dev tips video twice. Um, you see them enough when you're editing. Goodness. Yeah. Right. But, yeah, totally. <laughs> but the music though, it's so different. It just speaks about you in a, such a different way than, you know, education content. Right. And, um, going back and like looking at like, oh my gosh, I just did that finger move like on those buttons and knobs and I twisted those buttons so good. <laughs> like, how did I even do that? Like, it's like, there's, there's a performance aspect that like, I'm like, wow, that was a good move. But also like the things that I'm meditating on, like the, the videos I make are, I put a lot of text on the screen, a lot of like meditative ideas that I'm kind of just chewing on. Mm -hmm. recently. And so in that way, it's very journalistic. Uh, I can look back at a certain time in my life and see like, what are the big ideas that are like populating my brain at that time? And like, what was I doing and see the correlation between the two. So I think it's yeah one of my most like um, uh, rewarding uh, content, creative experiences. Yeah. And I have, a, I have a question on that. So I think a lot of the people that we talk to on this podcast will will ask these questions like outside of your career, mm -hmm. what kind of things are you producing or what are you interested in? And I feel like there's a few different ways that people view it. They either see it as like a reprieve maybe from 
what they do most of the time. So maybe their career mm. or what they're studying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like a lot of other people see it as a way to spark inspiration for that thing that they do 90% of the time. So how do you uh-huh. kind of see the content creation? Like, how do you see it? Yeah. I think one of the biggest values is that I get to own it, that it's no one else's. It it's not doesn't belong to Google. Nobody can mm-hmm. take it down. You know, I own it. And so I think that is like the biggest liberation because, you know, in design, often we have clients or bosses. Totally. How, how often are you designing for yourself um, mm-hmm. or creating for yourself in, in like a bigger idea, you know, painting or poetry or going on a jog, like whatever it is, how, how often are you doing it strictly for yourself? Mm-hmm. If you really take a, th- a minute to think about that, it, it's probably less than you want. Yeah. And um, so I'd say that's the biggest benefit is that it's something that if I just, I just want to be selfish and own my own create creative powers, right? I have a place to put that. And as I said, it's a journal, so I can document it and, and look back on it in six months or three years and be like, wow, you, you did take control of your, of your, you know, creative agency. What are you doing today, Travis? You know, so it, it does have that kind of like, mm-hmm. um, echoing effect as well. Um, in terms of like, is it additive to my career? I would say absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I hosted Google's design podcast mm-hmm. and that would never have happened if I didn't do my own podcast and my own, you know, YouTube channels and right. and things like that. Making the transition over to YouTube and, and then people would come up to me and like, hey, I'm glad you joined us because I've been watching your, you know, your channel for years. Or, hey, I remember when we did a user study with you as a YouTuber before you joined YouTube, you know, like things like that. So, so like putting, again, exercising your voice, understanding what your thoughts actually are and mm-hmm. putting them out in the world also has this weird byproduct of allowing other people to hear them mm-hmm. and, um, and then take action on them or, or, you know, use the things in their own life, yeah. however they may. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to talk about that for a little second. I was watching Cloud Atlas recently. Have you seen Cloud Atlas? This is a movie. It's a sci-fi movie. I don't know if it did too well, but it's made by the creators of The Matrix and um, starring Tom Hanks and a few others. But there is this um, part in the movie, you know, it's made by the creators of The Matrix. So it's very philosophical. This um, character is like kind of giving a revelation. It's more of like a it's just really, really deep, strong philosophy. And one of the things she says is she says the, um, I want to get this right. The character Sanmi, she has this revelation and it it talks about the interconnectedness of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. She said, we are not, our lives are not our own from womb to tomb. We are bound to others. And I think that's, that's totally true. Like everything Mm -hmm. we do, everything we say gets interpreted by other people and assimilated into the way that they live their life. And, um, the statement in that phrase is, it says like our actions and our deeds lay the, um, they, they are the substance of our immortality. I, I think I'm butchering that. But the idea is that we live on through the impressions mm-hmm. and the lessons that we teach each other and, and the impact that we have on each other's lives. That's how we are immortal. Because mm-hmm. the things that I say, the things that I do, they die with me. But the things that you do with them, that will carry on, mm-hmm. you know. And I, th- I think that was so 
so gorgeous way of, because like one of the biggest struggles of being, you know, a limited person, of being a, a person who will die, a mortal person, is the fear of death. Like that's, um, there's another uh, philosopher, Ernest Becker, who who wrote that, um, you know, death is the the driving motivation for everything you do in yeah. your entire life, you know, mm-hmm. um, the career you choose, the person you marry, the, the, um, the movies you watch, it's because you're afraid of death, every single thing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and like, that's just, you know, it's hard for me to like get my head around, but I just feel there's something inside of that that just speaks, that speaks to the truth because we're so afraid of not existing forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, having been a, now I'm a post-religion person, I, I kind of see now that it wasn't what I thought it was when I was a kid, but it comes from that same place of like right. needing to not, not exist. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so I think that in my, in my like later years now, again, big old three, eight, um, I feel like that is the way that I can alleviate that anxiety of not existing is just knowing that I have put things into the world that are good mm-hmm. that have at least tried to be good. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, I and, and that's, that's again, like probably a run on sentence of why do I think making content is important to me? <laughs> right. Right. Totally. Cause well, I want to be immortal. <laughs> to actually... sum it up is to be, it's okay to be selfish. That's the cliff notes of the beginning of what you said. It's okay to be selfish sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. what's interesting about that quote from the movie is it's also a very human, human characteristics. Like, mm-hmm. I guess every living being does have a ripple effect on the world, but the way that humans have it, it's a little bit different. We're still discovering like cave drawings from one, 2000 years ago, and they have yeah. an impact on today. Because mm-hmm. it changes the way that we int- interpret the past. So it's interesting how it's true for all living beings, but also at the same time, it's very human. Yeah, I like that. There's some petroglyphs just near like where we live, mm-hmm. a few miles in, you know, into, the, into the hike. But wow. it's really cool to see you know, like these ancient drawings. Um, yeah. And it's funny to like understand what they're about. You know, They're just mostly just like people giving messages to other people, letting them know that the river is going to be high, you know, or, or whatever, or like, mm-hmm. this is my hunt that I did. It's good hunting over there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's just trying to impact other people, you know, for the, for their betterment. Mm-hmm. Right. So how has, I mean, we've talked about your career and its vastness and where it started and where it is now. Um, so how has the field of UX specifically evolved through your time working with it and do you think it's evolved for the better you know what are your what are your thoughts on that i think better is a really hard word because it's super subjective Mm -hmm. you know um you could say objectively that ux is more effective (laughs) like (laughs) like like we know how to get done the things that we want done more efficiently than we used to right um but better is a weird word, you know, especially like when we're coming up and kind of like we're having this big old 2021 realization of climate change. We're just feeling the effects. You know, I I live in California. I know what it's like to have the sky orange because of ash, yeah. you know. And and so it's hard to say like, like, do I know the things that I do are going to make the world better? <laughs> Most likely 
I don't know, <laughs> because because who can even say what even better is objectively? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so but I guess I'm avoiding the question. The, the question is how how has the industry evolved over my time, and and mm-hmm. and how yeah. are we doing? What's yeah. the pulse like? Okay, um, I think yeah, I think that it's a, a much more friendly place than it used to be. Um, it used to be a smaller environment dominated by a few big ideas and a few big personalities. And it's less so, much, much less so now, which is good, I think. It makes space mm-hmm. for more people who have new things to say. <laughs> right. So I think that's great. Um, also, I think that a lot of the um, the technical aspects of our, of our work has been refined and refined and refined. And now we have a lot more branching ideas. So like we were talking about having like a UX engineer uh, and not just a UX designer. Why would you need that? Well, because our work is getting more complex, more deep and more specialized. So we need other people who have like paralyzed uh, par- parallel specializations to assist us in even getting there. Cause right. you know, it used to be like things were so simple. You could do it by yourself, but as things grow, become more complicated, more complex, more powerful, I guess um, you need more help and more diversity of understanding, uh, diversity of experience, diversity of knowledge and things like that. And so I'm really glad to see that the industry as a whole kind of has opened itself up and that happens in a few ways. I think a few of the bigger voices have just kind of, you know, how that happens. They just kind of expire. They just go the way of the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the younger generation is just much more diverse and uh, much more kind of uh, not not just diverse in the key word that everybody thinks about. It just right. means your face looks different. I'm just, I'm saying like you use different technologies. You, you know, some some of my friends are on Instagram, you know, my designer friends are on Instagram. Some of them are on TikToks or whatever. I kind of don't do any. I just do that music thing. That's my only um, thing these days. And that's a diversity of experience, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's a diversity of way of approaching. So I would be like a little bit more motion oriented or a little bit more sound oriented where if I came to the table, you know, somebody else who's just like very visual, they do like static portraits and paintings and stuff like that. So... Diversity of all types is encouraged. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to see that that's moved that way. And I think that me taking a backstage on, you know, dev tips and the podcast and stuff is kind of like a little bit of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, allowing the next person to start talking about what they want to talk about. You know? Totally. And kind of probing into not just what's happened in UX, where do you see the industry evolving? And I know that's maybe a big question or... There's many different ideas about that. Yeah. But um, we always see trends come up from time to time. But is there something that you think that's going to stick? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely we know what the what the trends are going to be. We've been talking for, about them for a while, you know, um, AR and VR and AI and, you know, machine learning to assist us with the decisions we make and the way that we orient our content and things like that. I think that those will just continue to get more and more just bigger, louder, mm-hmm. more important, more complex, more extreme. Um, and I, I kind of feel like a little bit, like a little bit like a dinosaur <laughs> in that way. I'm like, I don't really have any interest in VR at all. <laughs> and I, and it feels weird to say that to other designers because I know that I should toe the line and be like, Oh, new technologies are all good. But I just kind of feel that like we're in 2021 now. We don't have to say that all, 
all progress is linear and up and to the right. We don't have to say that anymore. So things like VR and AR and stuff, I'm not like nervous about them, at, you know, as a technology or whatever, but mm -hmm. I don't really have a lot of interest in that. In fact, uh, I feel like I kind of want to like go on a wilderness survival camps a little bit more <laughs> than I used to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. I, I, like on my YouTube diet lately is just like I'm watching these guys that go out and like survive for like three days with no food and no water. And they just kind of like eat plants and stuff and like make make little shelters and things. And, yeah. and, and so I'm like, I'm like, whoa, that's way better than VR. <laughs> I feel like you know what I mean like I feel like I want to do actual stuff yeah these these days yeah yeah um but in terms of like UX design and things like that I think that things will get just more um sensitive to individuals so like people with disabilities they'll have more accessibility kind of concerns um be raised and addressed and I feel also kind of like there's a lot we can do for social causes in mm -hmm. UX of course and marketing because like that's our superpower right like when yep. you look around the table you see somebody who can Oh, you can draft a nice doc. That's great. Your PRD looks fantastic. Fantastic. But I make things that make people stop and look. I'm the only one in this table that does that. And this is, you know, I'm just like personifying like the, you know, the designer at the table. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that we have a superpower that not many other people do. And so if we apply those to kind of like the causes and the changes that we want to see, mm -hmm. then I think that's another big work stream that we're going to be seeing from UX as a culture, as a community, as an industry in the future. Definitely. Definitely. We've already seen it. I just, I just think it'll grow. Yeah. 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 I think you just brought up something interesting that I recently read about too. Um, there was this article I was reading, and they mentioned solutionism. When when first when I saw that term, I was I had no idea what that meant. But it's solutionism. Yeah, it's it's this belief. Mm. Yeah. That, and it's apparently very prevalent in UX, but it's this belief that technology can solve everything. Um, yeah. And it's it's very interesting to think about as a UX designer because our job is largely to help solve things through technology. Mm -hmm. um, so. Have you ever had any thoughts about like the boundaries of what we can actually impact? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, this, this is interesting to me because, um, you know, as I said this year, I haven't done a lot of like, like design community projects. Like I haven't done like the podcast and I haven't done any speaking this year and all that, but, but I have, um, done a lot of like personal work. Like I've, I've, been working on <laughs> I've been working on my anger guys um, <laughs> so so I think that there yeah like there's like things that technology can assist like I was able to work with a really good uh, counselor and and help me to understand how emotions right. work did you guys know that emotions are real and they exist in your physical body I didn't know that before I learned mm -hmm. that this year um, a really easy way to tell that is to say like uh, what do you feel when you're angry where is your anger and, oh it's not in my head where is your anger? It's like in your stomach, like it's in your, like it's mm -hmm. in your like neck, yeah. you know, it's in your shoulders. So like you carry your emotions in your body. I didn't know that. So things like that. Um, wait, what was the question? I was just excited about emotions. Just, in your body. <laughs> um, just thoughts around the boundaries of what we as UX designers could oh. solve. 
Yeah. So I think this is a really good example of technology facilitating and aiding me in my, like my human Mm -hmm. journey. Like this is a real human need that I have. And you could say that the work that I did was outside of the boundaries of technology, but also acknowledge that like we have an option to chat like video chat or to do a text chat definitely do a text chat. I don't want to be seeing anybody when I tell them how, how, you know, like I need to work on this thing. Oh, I don't want to look at you in the eyes. So, so, uh, technology is great. It, it, it enabled me not to video chat, <laughs> just to text chat this counselor. But, um, yeah, th- there are there are interesting limits to technology, and I also have noticed a few things as I've moved out into farm town country USA. Mm-hmm. So there's no way I can call an Uber or get like DoorDash out here. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. So I have to like plan grocery store journeys, <laughs> things like that. And so there are things outside of the tech, uh, the boundaries of technology that people in urbanized areas don't really feel. They don't really understand what it's like to, um, you know, on a Thursday and the kids are crying and I have like no dinner plans to not order DoorDash. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think, yeah, I think one of the limits uh, could be your physical location, even though we're like, oh, it's a hyper connected digital world. And yes, I'm looking at this glowing screen all day, this black mirror in front of me. But at, in the same way, I do have that, as I explained before, like my neighborhood, like this this isolation from technology that has helped me really to see the boundaries to really see like all these new cool, you know, Oh, you just kind of like, it's an Uber for your dog and they RDO all the way to the, um, pet store max.com. And, and you're like, Oh, that's normal. But then when you come out and where those things are not available to you, you gotta say, Oh, were they even valuable in the beginning? I don't even, I'm not sure that they are. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, like, is it is it worth it to a certain point? You know, like is is maybe how much resources it takes to create that new thing? Is it worth yeah. it? Yeah. You know, yeah, that that was an interesting thing we learned this year about cryptocurrency mm-hmm. is that they, like when when I first learned about it without like thinking too deeply about it, I was like, oh, a detached currency from the government. Like, what a great idea. And then this year we kind of learned about the environmental cost of them. And then we're seeing, and I, at least I am, I'm saying we, but I'm seeing more and more on my news feeds like, oh, the cops busted this. They thought it was a drug house, but it was actually a, um, a mining operation for, for Bitcoin. And they have like <laughs> black market mining operations where they have like hundreds of PS5s, like, like networked yeah. together. And, and, then you, and then you say like, wait a second. Was that a great idea? Who's benefiting and what's mm-hmm. the cost? You know, mm-hmm. and, and you do that little simple math and you're like, I don't know if this is a great idea anymore, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that reminds me of like the whole vaping thing too. Um, I think vaping was meant to help people get off of cigarettes, but yeah. it's created a new generation of smokers in a different sense. And mm-hmm. if that's something you want to do, that's okay. But the problem it was trying to solve and what it ended up doing two very different things well i think it was jules specifically right that's right yeah right yeah yeah that's that's pretty crazy and and like you know that that's what we would call like dark design or dark marketing where they would like um make happy bubblegum flavored and like neon colored cartridges so that you look cool at school Mm -hmm. and like that's like so dark right it's so cynical to to like know Mm -hmm. that you're making a product to addict children 
not great, but yeah. good UX. Very good. <laughs> right, right. Very good. Very effective. <laughs> effective. Yeah. Effective. Not better. Effective. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I've been trying this year to kind of stop using these subjective terms. Yeah. Unless it's clearly my opinion, you know? Yeah. Like saying something is good is like, oh, that's not true. <laughs> like, how could a thing be good? Like, what are you talking about? It has to start from somebody's opinion to say it's good. So you're mm -hmm. talking about yourself the entire time. But then you propagate that out and be like, this is a good thing that the assumption is for everyone. And that's almost never the case. I mean, the yeah. squirrels at least, you know, mm -hmm. have no trees. Yeah. Okay, so I'll move on to the next question. Do you have yes. any wisdom that you like to share with recent graduates, junior designers, people who are getting into the design field, much like you did? Mm -hmm. um, you already shared some words of wisdom, but I mean, anything that you missed? Yeah, um, I think that when when my children are are able to kind of like be at the age where they're looking for a companion, you know, dating and such. Mm -hmm. I want to give them the advice that they should date a lot of different people. And the reason I would say that is because, you know, people are all different <laughs> and you never know like what you spark with or you never know what you jive with and, until you really meet that person. So if you yeah. date your like high school sweetheart and you marry them and, and that's fine, that might be the great, the, the great. But I'll tell you this much, if I did that, I would be married to somebody I can't stand today. And, um, and, and it, it, like, I wouldn't understand what it's like to know a person who is not this one person, right? I think that similarly, when you're looking for, for a partner to work with on a career, right? Think of right. the, think of the company you're going to join as a partner. Do they treat you that way? Do they treat you like, like they care about where, how you're doing and where you're going? And I would just say, try to date a lot of them, work freelance, um, do that thing for a while, work at small, work at big, work at startups, work at, um, agencies, like, like do as much as you can. Cause I right. think the greater of the diversity of your experience input will allow you to make a, a pretty solid decision when it's time to say like, okay, where do I want to spend the next 10 years or 20? Who would I want to work with? Or where do I want to partner with? I think that you would know that better if you, you know, experimented and kind of, um, went on a few dates. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. I love the, the, the analogy. With that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this has already been answered, but from your years of following your work, um, I know that you have many interests, music, code, watercolor. Um, are there any other hobbies or other interests that you've been currently diving deep into? Hmm. Hobbies or interests. I think that, um, I think those, those would be like the most like obvious answers. You know, they are, you could like find them at a hobby store, <laughs> but like I, I've been really, really, um, enjoying just getting to know my family. And I think again, like the pandemic is, has been like that weird curse mm -hmm. and a blessing, you know? So like really getting to know my children this year, because before the pandemic, you know, I would get up before they were awake and I would ride my bike to the train and like, I wouldn't see them until five, six when I got home. Right. And then it's like, make a dinner time. Then it's get a bath time. Then it's go to bedtime. So like this pandemic has enabled me to have like long conversations and time, just, just right. persistent, saturated time 
with my family. And I think that would be maybe the big hobby that I don't put on the internet is that um, I have two kids and a wife and like, they're so great. And uh, I don't know, I don't know how to say it, but like, it's weird to say that another person could be your hobby. How about this? How about, (laughs) how about about building and strengthening my relationships with them is my new hobby. (laughs) There you go. Awesome. (laughs) I think in the end, it all really does come down to the relationships that we make, whether Mm -hmm. they're family or not you know, like this is a a design podcast, but you know, in the end you create something and you put it out to another human to consume or to use. And that's a relationship. And so I think that like investing in the most important relationships that you have is, uh, yeah, I think that's where I want to be, you know, in the next, the next leg of my career, doubling down on that. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, okay. Well, at the end of our podcast, we like to do some hot takes and see where you land on certain topics that may or may not be controversial. Don't worry. They're not (laughs) in trouble. (laughs) So we'll start off with what I would think is an easy one, but we've gotten weird answers for this. I don't know. So the first one is Mac or PC. Oh, um, that's fun. I grew up on a PC. Um, and my, my mom's PC would crash every three minutes trying to make the <laughs> latest cool D3 1 5GN in, in my, my stolen pirated Photoshop. Um, but, you know, uh, professionally, I've been using Macs for the past, like, I think 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, at this point, I don't care. Like, I don't have, like, yeah. weird allegiances to brands, but I am very proficient with uh, Macintosh. Yeah. Yeah. So Mac. Do you want to switch off, Varun? You, you can do the next one and I'll ask okay. after that. Yeah. Uh, any design trends that you are very much not a fan of currently and you very much dislike them? No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not because like I like them all. It's just because I don't, I don't even know what they are. I don't even. <laughs> uh, That's a good answer. I yeah. Like that. I, <laughs> yeah. Again, time moves differently out here on the farm, guys. Like right. like earlier today I was petting a lamb. Oh wow. Right. Yeah. And yeah. now we're doing a, a podcast. <laughs> yeah. It was nibbling on my finger through a fence. So cute. My kids named it. There's two of them. One is called Good Boy and one is called <laughs> one is called Ghibli or something like that. Gibby. Gibby. Yeah. Yeah. Two little lambs. They were born. Oh, you guys, I, we, we met them on like their second day of life. These little mm-hmm. baby lambs. And now wow. when they see us, they run up to us like dogs. They, <laughs> and they like, have, they like, they love us. It's crazy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. They're in the, the neighbor's yard. Um, but yeah, all of the design trends, you're fine. I don't care. You'll be gone. <laughs> you'll be gone later and nobody will remember you. Remember what was that <laughs> one? That I, yeah. What was the one that everybody made a big stink about? Um, New morphism? Yes, skeuomorphism. Yes, yeah. I was trying to explain that to my kid the other uh, the other week, and I was like, I was like, and there was this name, there was this word that you couldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> UX dogma. Um, yeah, yeah. Next question. All right. Um, this one I wanted to ask because when I was writing it down, normally we ask Spotify or Apple Music, but I had a feeling, I just had a feeling that you might have a different music okay, streaming platform. Okay, sometimes we of say. Choice. Sometimes we say title. Sometimes we say YouTube, YouTube music. music. Sometimes we say. I think one time I even oh. said, uh, "What's it called? The orange one." I I forget. SoundCloud. Oh, SoundCloud. Yeah. 
Yeah. SoundCloud. But mm. we've always only gotten Spotify, which is disappointing. Yeah. Because there's, there's a market. But we've only gotten Spotify. That's so interesting. I think yeah. we might have gotten one Apple Music. Maybe. Yeah. So you guys know that I work at YouTube Music, right? Yes. yes. Which is a Spotify competitor. Yeah. Right. Um. So for all you who don't know at home, there are two YouTube apps. One is the one you have, and then one is YouTube Music. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, okay, so I use Apple Music because I've been using them for over a decade. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's this kind of thing. And so I listen to music by the album. I don't do singles. I don't do playlists. Me I too. just listen to entire albums. And... It, when I'm done with that entire album, it will just be in my history. So I have this kind of like, again, this journal, this legacy. And I can look back 20 years and, and see what albums I was just engaged with. Because, mm -hmm. like, you know, Spotify, as I understand it, I'm not a Spotify user, although my wife is, um, is geared towards, like, discovery and playlisting and a little bit more of a community yeah. aspect where... Um, Apple comes from the old school of like buy the album, you know, so they're organized in a way that more suits my consumption model. And I think that might be because that's just the way I listen. And it also might be because they've programmed me to be that way. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Who knows? But, um, but uh, Apple music is the one I use for my listening, but YouTube music, I am familiar with like the things that they have in development and how things are going. And I got to say, guys, it's looking, it's looking pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, I, I use Apple music too, but on my PC, I, I love, cause there's a PWA for YouTube music. I actually really like YouTube music when yeah. I'm listening to Indian music. Um, mm. because, or because I think it does a better job at finding, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it just, for Indian music, for some reason, it works really well. Well, yes, because we have so much education and learning from, um, you know, all of our audience members on that part of the world. And so we have like a, a much more robust library, like like our music library song for song compared to other, um, you know, service providers is just like hand over hand larger because because we're YouTube. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because it's YouTube, guys. So there's like, not only is like, um, are there all of like the original tracks on there, but there's the concert version and the cover and the alternate version yeah. and the, you know, um, and then multiplied by the other kind of like cultures like Bollywood and um, Indian music and, and these other things, they, ha they have a really solid, like it's in like T-Series, the biggest channel yeah. on YouTube or, yep. and it's, you know, it's yep. like, that's the Indian, uh, it's music, right? Indian yeah. music and entertainment mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like a huge, huge library. And I think like also kind of like the uh, the cool sister-ness we have with YouTube main, like gives us so many awesome like opportunities to kind yeah. of like um, give you the things that you don't get on those other platforms, which yeah. I think is yeah super cool. I think that was a great way to explain the difference between Spotify and Apple Music in a way that I hadn't quite thought of yet. Mm. Um but I'm curious, first of all, what albums, since you're an album person, you're albums? currently listening to? Oh. And also, um, how do you find new music? Because I feel like it's going to be much different from someone else that we might ask on the podcast. Yeah, I, I don't I don't like have the 
new music antennas like a lot of the people I work with of course like they're all music heads yeah but they're and but they know all the latest things right who's the you know in the charts and like it's like a big world to them yeah. um but I'm still like this I'm this I'm this album guy living in a singles world <laughs> I gotta say <laughs> so um the, the, my my pick for 2021 is uh, the album. It's called "So the Flies Don't Come Home," and it, it was actually recorded in 2015. It's mm. it's by a, a rapper named Milo. Milo. It's so good. Like it's like so you 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 if you've seen my uh, YouTube channel, you could see that obviously there's a big hip hop influence. There's a big like lo-fi mm -hmm. like um, right, influence, right. and like this sits right in the middle of that. In fact, there's this one line. That, so this machine right here is it's called a 404. It's like a beat making machine. Yeah. yeah. And there's this one line on his album. He's like, "Oh, that's my four. That's the the 404 box on the floor. Do you think your soul will fit in there?" And I was like. <laughs> I think so. Like, <laughs> because like this, uh, this album is so great, you know, um, there's a song on it. If you're going to listen to one song, listen to napping under the echo tree. It's just going to fill you up, man. It's just such, it's one of those songs that just fills you up. And after you listen to it, you're like, I feel like I'm full up. <laughs> Weird. I've heard this album many, many, many times. Oh yeah. But I discovered it. I want to say around when it came out because yeah, one of my one yeah one of my best friends is like he's that person with the antennas up mm. who knows all all the music and he recommended it to me and I've only ever listened to it on YouTube I think mm. to to be he, honest he did a live set on YouTube oh it's really the he did this whole album live on YouTube wow live stream and and he's like mixing on the 404 and everything while he's rapping wow. it's it's so he's it's so good it's such and, a great album his flow is like so gentle and just like if, is, is you're like is this rapping or is this why does it work so well it's so good right right oh I love it um but I think I found him through open Mike Eagle I think because they're friends mm. okay um, on to a kind of silly question, but it's it's a fun one. Okay. Um, when you're wearing shoes and socks, what's the order you go by? Is it sock, shoe, sock, shoe, or is it sock, sock, shoe, shoe? Sock, sock, shoe, shoe. What kind of crazy people are you talking to? <laughs> who does we, sock, shoe? Uh, there's been a few. There was one who yeah. said it was a good luck charm for, like, sporting events. They would do what? sock, shoe, sock, shoe, and then they'd win the game. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I've heard that um, athletes can be very superstitious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is interesting. Who, like, because I'm just imagining the process, right? Like, you get, you get dressed, your dresser, you have socks in your dresser, and then your shoes are by the door. Yeah. Like, who, what, is, what savage would put <laughs> a shoe, a shoe on before their sock was on? Like, on the other foot. I know, I'm not, I know what you mean. But like, yeah. who would put it, who would put their left shoe on before their right sock? Who would do that? I was shocked when Nico made this question, but apparently it's a thing. So I'm, no, I think I'm, it is I'm, a thing. Yeah, I'm stirred up right now. I'm like, yeah. I'm like ready to have a battle. Next time you meet someone, sock you battle. just gotta say sock, sock, shoe, shoe, or sock, shoe, sock, shoe, or else I can't be your friend. <laughs> Such a good question. I, I, you would learn so much about somebody. You'd be like, okay, so you're absolutely a crazy person. Okay. I, I get it now. I get it. Okay, see ya. Yeah. 
Um, okay, last question. This one's less of a hot take. Just any books, movies, podcasts, content that you've been loving recently that you want to share? Uh, anything like that? Um, Cloud Atlas was a movie that we mentioned already. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Inside of... So I would recommend watching Cloud Atlas with the with the subtitles turned on because the most important thing about the movie is not like the action or like the cool gunfights. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like the philosophy that's inside of it, the ideas of the characters and how they share them and relate to each other. And so like reading it out and understanding, cause it's, it's very, it's like a interwoven, like there's six stories going on at once. It's like a thing like that. So like it was easier to track on my second watch through with subtitles. So that's the recommendation. Um, Music. Listen to Milo. That was another one that came up. Um, totally. Book. So we mentioned Ernest Becker earlier, uh, yeah. a philosopher who wrote a book called The Denial of Death. And that's the one he was talking about, like the motivation for us to want to be seen is so that we can live forever. You know, just everything is because we're so afraid of dying. Um, so that's the book that I would read. I, I've actually not finished it yet. I've owned it for years and I'm still chewing on it. It's like yeah. so thick. <laughs> it's, che- it's chewy. Yeah. So those are my, yeah, my, my media recommends. That's perfect. I think that's a very good list. Yeah. And it's good. a little bit everywhere. So yeah. you can <laughs> right. pick and choose whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And... With that, it brings us to the end of this very special episode. Thank you once again for joining us. Um, It's been my pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me.